Not so long ago, when someone used the word innovation, I thought of the fun and exciting things that came with it, whether it be new ideas, a different way of doing things, doing something more efficiently. As the years have gone by, my mindset was shaped by how a major part of the corporate world saw innovation, which was risky, costly, time-consuming, and often riddled with failure, but still necessary for survival. Now, don't get me wrong. Some organizations get it right when it comes to innovation. For example, you've got 3M, the Imagineers at Disney, and Apple, just to name a few. But the majority of corporations say that they want a culture of innovation, but forget that failure is a part of the innovative process. And instead, they focus too much on the bottom line and they wind up working their employees to exhaustion. They forget to give their potential innovators a license to fail. The best innovators fail and they fail often. And it's what they do to quote-unquote fail forward that sets them apart from the rest. In this episode of Thought Pioneering, we're going to talk about the gritty part of the innovative process, which is failure, and what to do when you reach that hurdle so you too can bounce back quickly. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Thought Pioneering Podcast, part of the FreedomCast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Shiansky, and the topic of this episode is the topic of failure. Ironically, failure isn't one of those topics that I get a lot of questions about when having discussions around innovation. In fact, most of the discussions around innovation are around what an individual or a team can do to bring value to an organization, but we really never have the conversation about what it's going to take to make that idea work or how difficult that process may be for those going through it. And that's really why I found it compelling to talk about the topic of failure for this episode. Now, all too often when we think about innovation, we think about that light bulb moment or the aha moment that we get when the idea strikes us. So in this episode, what I really want to do is I want to take you on a journey and discuss what it takes to persevere and possess that grit that is required to take an idea and make it real so that it creates value. Now, to do so, we're going to wind up playing a little loosely in the boundaries of innovation for this episode, but we're really going to take a deeper dive into failing and answer the question of what can we do to give ourselves that license to fail. When it comes to learning from failure, there are many examples in history. If we just look back in time, we can find numerous occasions where failure had occurred and somebody learned from their failures and then came up with a radical innovation or got better at something and became the top of their game. Uh, the top of the industry, you can just take a look back and, and just see how failure is a part of really a lot of success stories. For this one, I want to share a quote, and you may have heard it before, and I'll kind of tee it up with this quote here. But the quote is, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's why I succeed. Now, this comes from a professional basketball player who didn't make the cut for his high school basketball team. And if you've guessed Michael Jordan, then you are correct. But I want to examine this one for a second. Michael Jordan wasn't afraid of failure. Could you imagine that if when he got rejected from his high school basketball team, he just gave up basketball entirely and played baseball instead? No, I would never have imagined a world where Michael Jordan would play baseball instead of basketball. But no, in that moment, he possessed a growth mindset. Now, while there is still so much we can do to talk about a growth mindset. I actually did cover this topic in uh, just a high level overview of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset in my first episode of Thought Pioneering. So if you want to go back and listen to the first episode, feel free to do so. I won't go too much deeper into what a growth mindset means. I just want to throw that out there just in case you were curious and want to learn more. 
But as we, as we look back at the Michael Jordan story here, we look back at his career, we can fast forward a few years into his NBA career once he got started. Now, Michael Jordan certainly knew what it was like to fail. For the, the first few years of his career, he was an excellent player, but he couldn't get past the hurdles of the playoffs. During the 80s, Jordan had to contend with a lot of other excellent teams in the Eastern Conference, like the Boston Celtics and the Detroit Pistons. The Celtics at that time were just too good, with their big three of Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish. In fact, Bird had a 6-0 record against Michael Jordan in the playoffs, but Jordan showed his incredible dominance during these games, once scoring 63 points against the Celtics in a single playoff game, which was a performance that Larry Bird referred to as really God playing through Michael Jordan. Now, as for the Pistons, they formulated a set of tactics known as the Jordan Rules to stop Michael Jordan from single-handedly beating them. And, and it really worked because after years of losing to the Pistons, Jordan and the Bulls were finally able to overcome the Pistons. And from there, Jordan went on to dominate the NBA in the 90s, losing only one playoff series throughout the decade and winning six NBA championships. As we look back at the timeline of Michael Jordan, there is about a decade of failure regarding his ability to perform in the postseason. But if we take a closer look, you can see that he learned from his failures and he got better every year and ultimately became arguably one of the best basketball players of all time. When you're looking to get better at something, make sure that, and, and I get this a lot too, it's, it's just when you're trying something new, you're not going to be the best at it right away. When you're in the learning process, you're in the, I would say the most painful process of trying something new or getting acclimated to a new process is the learning process riddled with failure. But you have to possess that growth mindset. There it is again. <laughs> you have to possess that growth mindset and say, okay, I can get better. And when you're looking at a new process or a new task that you're learning, the best thing you could do is don't, don't measure yourself against somebody that's been in that role or done that, that thing that you're doing for 10 plus years that are considered, quote unquote, an expert. Measure yourself against yourself. I know that sounds crazy. Measure yourself against yourself. Well, that doesn't help. No, it really does. What you really need to focus on is, am I better today than I was yesterday? That goes back to the saying, good is the enemy of great. And this comes down to that learning process. When you're trying to fail forward, the worst thing you want to do is ignore the consequence of failure. And that's going to take us into our first topic. Let's call this one accountability. Now, I vividly remember when I failed my first test in college. In fact, it was actually, I think, my, my very first test in college. Uh, I came out of high school. I had like, I think I had like a solid B average. I wasn't, you know, anything spectacular. I wasn't also like I did my work in high school. So I felt somewhat confident going into college. And that was that was immediately checked on my first test. But I remember when I filled that first test in college and I was terrified, really. I, I took it personally and I even contemplated if I was cut out for the whole university life. And the worst part about it was it was actually in a class that I was very interested in. And it, was, it wasn't one of those weed out classes either. It was like, it was part of my degree program. So I, like, I knew I wanted to take that class. But when I failed that test, I actually chose to ignore it and not talk about it, especially with my parents. Even though I was 300 miles away, I really didn't want to discuss the issue with anyone. So I, I really felt more embarrassed than anything. So I just swept it under the rug and I figured, okay, let's chalk this one up to experience and I'll figure it out myself without any additional guidance or coaching. That right there for me was a mindset that took ultimately three years to fix. In our professional lives, brushing failure under the rug can lead to an atmosphere steeped in fear. And this goes back to the whole premise of this entire podcast is that we fear rejection and we fear failure. If we think back to the corporate world, some employees who feel like they're to blame could fear for the fate of their job. I, I know I've been there. 
or even worse, others might become averse to taking risks for fear of a similar outcome. Ultimately, the ignoring it approach can hinder you and your team's success. And this is why that fear of rejection or failure can tend to lead us down the path of playing it safe. Now, don't get me wrong, we do sometimes need to dance on this line a little bit here. I mean, there are still instances where playing it safe it may not be a smart decision, but it's a wise decision. And I know I don't talk too much about wisdom in this podcast, but if you are a part of the Freedom Cast Network and you do follow us, there is another podcast out there called Conventional Wisdom, which Samuel Vernon, the host, actually talks about wisdom in general on his first episode. So if you do want to learn a little bit more about that, go and check out the Conventional Wisdom part of the Freedom Cast Network. And he talks a little bit more of a deeper dive into what wisdom is and between the difference between smart choices and wise choices. But going back to this, to our discussion here is sometimes you do need to play it safe because it is a wise decision. But if we choose to ignore failure and we don't face our giants, then we can become stuck in a status quo of doing things the way that they have always been done, even if we are the ones who ultimately created that status quo for ourselves. I think Stephen Covey puts it best. He says, you can't talk yourself out of a problem you've behaved yourself into. So if you've done this over years and years where you've kind of acted your way into staying in the comfort zone or staying within the status quo, it's kind of hard to talk yourself out of that. So if you want to learn from your failures, don't ignore them. I go through all of this to say that you need to make an effort to talk about your failures. Discuss them with a friend or a trusted advisor, somebody that can hold you accountable. If you don't have a mentor, get one. A mentor should be someone who of which is maybe two or three steps ahead of you personally, professionally, spiritually, or any other lead. One of the goals to really find someone who is currently where you would like to be and learn from them and utilize them as that accountability partner. And again, tr trust me, listen when they speak. If you're asking for advice and not taking it or ignoring it, then you are wasting your mentor's time and you don't want to do that. So furthermore, when you talk about your failures with someone who can provide an outside perspective, you will start to see the things that you miss while you're in the weeds doing the work. Another thing that you can do is deconstruct the problem and learn what can be done better next time. There's a tool that we use out in the learning and development field. It's called the Plus Delta. And this is a great tool that you can use to evaluate how things went. All you need is a piece of paper or a flip chart, and you'll need to draw a giant T chart in the middle of that paper. Now, in the header on the left-hand column, what you want to do is put a plus symbol. And in the header of the right-hand column, go ahead and put a, a symbol of delta, which is a triangle. And what we mean by delta is essentially change. When evaluating your processes or habits for a given outcome, always start with the positives. Trust me, it's way better for your mental health to do so. So you want to start by listing the things that went well. What happened throughout your process that worked? Go ahead and list those out on your left-hand column under the pluses. Those are the good things. Those are the things that you're happy about. Once you're finished adding all the pluses, it's now time to work your way over to the deltas in the right-hand column. And I do want to caution you on your language here. We use the, the term delta because delta is a symbol for change, not incorrect. It's not a minus. It's not what went wrong. It's what can we improve on. And that's why we put the triangle in that column header and not a minus sign. Again, the goal here is to identify areas of opportunity, the areas of which that you'd like to change. Once you have your list of deltas, the next thing to do is create an action plan and begin working on making those changes that you've identified. This is a great step forward when trying to improve and learn from past mistakes. The true failure exists when you repeat the mistake and are too stubborn to try to improve or just accept that mistake as a new reality and continue on without changing while knowing that there is a problem. 
Now, in order to succeed in business today, it is essential to learn how to fail forward. And of equal significance, it's crucial to also model and instill this strategy within a culture of your company. Remember, it's the art of failing forward that will ultimately drive sustainability, teach collaboration, empowerment, and resilience. Now, I myself have been in environments where I was given the freedom to fail, and I was actually held accountable only to the learning and not the amount of failures that I had. Now, on the other side of that coin, I've been in environments where innovation was highly encouraged and it had immense payoffs, but the lengthy process and the failure was best not seen or heard of, which meant that I had to brush those failures under the rug and not talk about them since that may signal weakness to the people who decided how much my bonus might be for that year. It was all about perception. And this is where I feel that some organizations get it wrong. Everyone wants the big, new, shiny innovation. And believe me, there are a lot of benefits from a newer, relevant, and more efficient process. But these organizations, they tend to make it hard to fail and fail publicly within a team and instead have the adverse effect, which eventually will stifle innovation and cause people to play it safe and fall in line, really. This can ultimately lead to disengaged employees, which we all know can cost the company more money in the long run. So how can we fail forward? Well, while failure can feel catastrophic in the moment, with a growth mindset top of mind and the right amount of time and collaborative analysis of the quote-unquote steps that went wrong, we can learn valuable lessons that can transform even the most upsetting failure into something greater than you've ever imagined. If you go into something with the mindset knowing that while, and I'll quote, uh, paraphrase Elon Musk quote, while the probable outcome may be failure, the most valuable part of that process can be what not to do the next time or for the next iteration. If you can go into a, a project or a process with that mindset, then you're going to be miles ahead of those who have a fixed mindset and accept the failure as a limit and they don't progress any further. So how do we create a safe environment for failing? I do want to talk about, I know there are many different ways I could have gone for this episode, but when I think about the license to fail or failing forward or how do you create a safe environment for failing, I, I do want to, as my last topic here, just kind of want to wrap up this episode with what we can do to create a safe environment to fail. And really for this portion of the episode, I am kind of speaking directly to the leaders out there, or if you're a team lead or a formal leader or a project manager, whatever it may be, anybody that leads somebody or some group, I'm really speaking to you on this one. Give your employees room to fail. Strive to possess a culture of learning and creativity. This goes back to the question of, do you want to have a culture of learning or do you want to have a culture that has all the answers and doesn't allow for your employees to organically grow? Giving out that license to fail means that you trust your team or your employees. But if you give a license to fail, then you must also mean it as well. And I'm not trying to be like Dr. Seuss, I promise. That just came out perfectly. But don't just tell your employees that you can have the freedom to experiment, but then judge them when they ultimately fail. You need to help them be accountable to the learning process. Again, the learning piece of this process is one of the most important pieces. So after having some conversations with the leaders in the industry and a couple of other professionals, I've developed a list of things that you can do as a leader to create an environment that fosters learning through failure. Number one, be vocal about failing. Now, as a leader, you may want your employees to only see you when you're winning and you never let your employees see you struggle. This is fake. There is an abundance of material out there that suggests that when a leader is seen as a real person, people are more likely to follow that person. There's nothing wrong with being confident. 
but there is a big difference between confidence and arrogance. If you talk about your failures or you make your failures known, then it can create a safety net for those around you to feel safe trying something new. But be careful though, and be wise when talking about your failures. If you need to, treat yourself to a healthy serving of some humble pie before you speak up and don't brag about your failures. Your intent here should be to help your employees feel safe trying new things. Number two, be available. If you're going to give your employees that license to fail but then aren't present, then you aren't going to like the results that you'll get from them. When experimenting with new ideas or processes, every employee will need some sort of guidance no matter how experienced they may be. Don't give them the open floor and then disappear on them. Make yourself available for honest conversations and in addition, be candid in the way that you communicate. Number three, celebrate those failures. Don't just accept failure in the workplace, celebrate it. Even if it feels a little over the top at first, it takes time to build trust and make employees feel both safe and supported enough to venture away from their comfort zones and try new ways of thinking and working. Remember, it's like that saying, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. Keep in mind that some of the patterns employees rely on have been built up over months and years, and it can take time to peel away those layers, but the rewards are well worth it. This goes back to when James Quincy took over as CEO of the Coca-Cola company in 2017. He said, if we're not making mistakes, then we're not trying hard enough. He encouraged his employees to get past the fear of failure that had plagued the company since the New Coke disaster many years earlier. As a leader, you need to make space for employees to try new things rather than micromanaging them. Encourage them to celebrate the failures that occur in their own teams rather than engaging in a command and control style of leading, which often stokes division and fear, and it actually kills idea sharing and innovation. These types of leaders often act in this way because they don't feel psychologically safe and in turn, they don't create a safe space for their teams under them. Successful and empowering leaders, however, do create a safety net for their employees and they help them be their best selves. Number four, failing forward. Creating an environment where failure is celebrated is just half the battle. Again, we still want to be able to see results. And if we're just out there failing all the time and spinning our tires without learning, then what are we really accomplishing? Having good systems in place to incorporate learning from the failures will help get your team where they need to be. Have some of those built-in checkpoints that serve as safety nets throughout a project to review what's working and what's not. Sounds familiar, plus Delta. Again, you want to get those additional resources and make any needed tweaks to help manage the outcome. Discuss predetermined project milestones to measure how on point things are or whether they're veering way off course. After a project is finished, gather the team together to conduct a plus Delta or hot wash or any other after action review to evaluate what went well and what can be improved upon. If you do these things, then you may just find yourself in a supportive environment that can allow innovation to flourish. Now, I did touch on psychological safety a little bit in this episode, and I do feel that it's an interesting topic that really deserves its own conversation. So for the next episode of Thought Pioneering, I'm going to be sitting down with Jane Aranea, who has dedicated many years of her life on this topic. And we're going to discuss the impacts that psychological safety can have on creativity and much more. So definitely stay tuned for that three-part series to drop in the coming months. Well, that wraps up this episode of Thought Pioneering. And if you liked this episode, please feel free to smash that like button and share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you want to be notified when we launch more content from this channel, then ring that bell icon to receive alerts when new episodes drop. I'll see you next time on Thought Pioneering.